Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or about anything else going on in your life that you would like uh, biblical advice on or you'd like prayer for, we'd love to talk with you and hopefully answer those questions. We'd love to pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Again, this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, your prayer requests, anything going on in your life. We'd love to talk with you and pray for you. I want to welcome those of you who are listening on the East Coast in the area around Tennessee and um, North Carolina, or yeah, North Carolina, Kentucky. There on Truth FM, as well as those of you on the East Coast on Hope FM and New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. We're so glad that you are tuning in today. And of course, we want to greet our listeners here in Colorado and Southern Wyoming who are tuning in on Grace FM. Just a reminder that those of you on Hope FM and Truth FM out on the East Coast, you are hearing the program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind that you are hearing the show delayed. Um, But what that means is that when you call in, you'll get to have your questions answered and your prayer requests prayed for, and then you'll get to the unique opportunity. You get to tune in a week later and you get to hear yourself on the radio. So wherever you're listening from or tuning in from, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or text us at 720-336-0897. We also want to give a big hello to everyone who is tuning in online. Another increasing number of people who tune in every week uh, via our app and via the website. So there's a really great Grace FM app. If you don't have that yet, really encourage you to go get that on your app store for your uh, phone or for your tablet. You can just go into your app store and type in Grace FM as one word, Grace FM, and then it'll come right up and you can get that for free and you can listen wherever you are in the country or really anywhere around the world. And, um, The same is true on the website. So you can also just go in your browser to gracefm.com and then you click listen live and then you can tune in um, live to this show. And just so you know, there's an increasing number of people who do this. Um, Looking at the map right now that was sent to me, it looks like we have listeners in um, quite a lot in Colorado, front range listeners, but also a lot in Southern California. Tuning in right now, we've got some up in the Pacific Northwest and uh, looks like Central Washington tuning in. We've got uh, Dallas, Texas area. Looks like uh, Southern Kansas. We've got Chicago, uh, Minneapolis. Some listeners out on the East Coast, quite a few, especially looks like around Philadelphia. So, hey, however you are tuning in today, we are so glad that you're with us and so cool to see 
how the online audience is growing as well. Just a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And if you are in Longmont or you know people in this area, we would love it if you would come and worship with us on a Sunday. Come visit us. Come worship with us. Come introduce yourself to us. Always love it when uh, after church, usually have a couple people who come up and say, hey, we listened to you on the radio or hey, we heard about you on, on the radio and uh, we love that. So you can check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And where we meet is right in downtown Longmont. So we're right in the heart of the city. If you know where Main Street is in Longmont, that's 287, Highway 287 here in Colorado. And our church meets just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue, which is, which is the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. So we're just to the south of the downtown park and ride. And we're just on the corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in Longmont. The building is called the St. Vrain Memorial Building. It's at 700 Longs Peak Avenue, 700 Longs Peak Avenue. And of course, you can find directions and all that good stuff on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. Or you can also find us on all the socials. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have a YouTube channel that we're currently uh, building up. So we'd love it if you'd go and check out our YouTube, YouTube channel and subscribe to that. Right, recently, we've been working on putting up our sermon videos. And we, seems like we finally got it dialed in, like the right angle, lighting, etc. So go check that out. Um, Whitefields Community Church on YouTube. And just check us out on all the socials. We'd love it if you'd follow us and you could share some of our content. We try to put up really high quality, uh, biblical, gospel-centered content for people to share so that they can grow. You know, our mission is to get the Word of God to people so they can grow and they can be equipped and they can be sent out on mission with God. And you can hear our radio program. It airs every weekday at 2.30 p.m. here on Grace FM and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So May 2.30 p.m., that's when a lot of you are picking up kids from school or maybe you're on your way somewhere. Uh, you can tune in then. Our show's called Life in the Field, and it's just our sermons edited for the radio. And then we also have Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on Grace FM. So if for some reason you're not able to be in church, we'd love it if you tune in and worship with us there on Sunday mornings on the air. Let's go to our first caller, Clifton in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Clifton. Welcome to the program. How are we doing today, Pastor? Doing great. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out and tell you thank you, man. Your word really inspired me, and you keep me going, man. Thank you. Don't give it up. I All just right. wanted to pr pray for my daughters, Tashina, Taya. Pray okay. for my son, Adrian. Okay. Just wanted to say, you know, I love them, and uh, keep them in your hands, you know. Keep them in God's hands and keep us keep us on the right path, brother, man. Absolutely. Let's do that. Let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, thank you for Clifton, his heart for you, his heart to walk with you, and his heart for his family to walk with you. So, Lord, that's a good thing, wanting to uh, pray for your kids and lift them up to the throne of God and bring them to Jesus. And it reminds me of what it says there in the Gospels that uh, it talks about a man who brought uh, the children to Jesus. And what a, what a beautiful and incredible, inspiring thing that is. And Lord, I pray that we as parents, we'd be inspired to do that all the more. But specifically, Lord, we pray for these three children. Pray, pray for his daughters, Tashina and Taya. Lord, we pray for Adrian his son, and Lord, we just ask that you would bless them. We pray that you'd be with them and that they would grow in stature and in the knowledge of you. And we pray that you would bless Clifton as a father. Lord, help him to raise his children in your ways. But we also pray for their hearts, Lord, that they would be receptive to your word, 
that they would truly grow, that their hearts would be that good soil that receives the word and, and grows up, you know, produces much fruit. And we pray that that would be true in their life. We pray that they would grow in you and they would walk with you all the days of their life for your glory and that they would carry out your mission in the world for the good of others. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. You bet. God bless you, Clifton. God bless you. Bye-bye, Bye-bye. Pastor. Listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We've got two open lines. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or text us 720-336-0897. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything else going on in your life. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you. And let's go to our next caller, John in Pennsylvania. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks, Pastor. Yeah, we, we know that you know a sin is a sin, and, and God hates all sin. But is there something to be said for you know the, the sin of sexual immorality and homosexuality? Because God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He kind of gave Nineveh that little reprieve and sent Jonah there to save them. But it seemed like the anger was poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I always wondered... You know, maybe maybe there are some more that tick him off a little bit more than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know what's really interesting? Uh, okay, let's answer a few questions that you asked. <clears throat> is God more upset by some sins than others? I think the answer to that, that question is clearly yes, he is, um, without doubt. God is upset by some sins more than other sins. Um, and some people ask, well, how can that be? Isn't it that a sin is a sin? Is a sin? And the simple answer to that question is this. Um, all sins are equal quantitatively, but not all sins are equal qualitatively. Does that make sense? So let's put it this way. A white lie to, your, to let's say, your child, right? You lie to your child about something because it's easier than telling them the truth. So you just lie to them to make it easy, get them off your back. Is that a sin? Yes. So let's, let's just count. Like if we were making a tally like with chalk on a chalkboard, okay? Uh, one mark, right? Okay, you murder somebody. Is that a sin? Obviously, yes. So th- again, does that count as one mark? Yes. So is it is a white lie a sin? Yes. Is murder a sin? Yes. Quantitatively, they both count as one sin. Qualitatively, are they the same? No, they're very different. In the one, you took somebody's life, right? Right? Like it says like Cain... His blood cried out from the earth. Okay, so, uh, or I mean, sorry, Abel's blood cried out from the earth. Cain killed his brother. Okay, is that the same? Is, let's say, is, you know, Jesus said, for example, that um, if you look at someone with anger in your heart, that's the same as committing the sin of murder. Okay, but yeah, if I murder somebody literally, clearly there's a qualitative difference. I have taken somebody's life, I have shed their blood. I have um, done that. Now, before God, the one sin counts as another, you know, counts as a sin. The other sin also counts as a sin. Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about that is to show people that all of us are sinners and we all need a Savior. Okay, now all that to say, are some, some sins more grievous in the eyes of God than others? The answer is yes. Um, however, I think, you know, what's really interesting that I want to point out to you real quick is that it actually tells us in the Bible what the sin of Sodom was, 
but it doesn't say that it was homosexuality. I'm going to show you a verse. Check this out. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. Okay, I'm looking it up myself. Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50, and I'll just read it to you. Here's what it says. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Okay, so that's really interesting, isn't it? Because we always tend to think that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was the sin of homosexuality. Was it one of their sins? Yeah, that was one of their sins. But specifically, when God lists the sins, here's what he lists. Guilt uh, was pride, pride. And, and prosperous ease and not aiding the poor, even though they could. And I just want to say, have I committed the sins of Sodom in that case? Have I ever been prideful? Of course I have. Have I ever not aided the poor and needy, even though I had prosperity? And the answer to that is also yes. And so what that tells me is that just as Sodom and Gomorrah deserved God's judgment, I also deserve God's judgment. And I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but I would assume that the same is true for them as well. I would assume even, John, that the same is true for you. And, and what does that lead us to? It leads us to the fact that, you know, like Galatians 3 says, that, or Galatians 4, 3 and 4, it says that we are trapped, so to say, by the law under sin, to the point where we're either going to receive God's judgment and it will be fully deserved or we're going to receive God's grace and mercy be on the basis of what Jesus did for us. And that, my friend, is really good news. That's why it's called the gospel. Now, let me answer your other question. Nineveh. Why did God spare Nineveh but not Sodom and Gomorrah? There's a one very, very clear and easy answer to that. And that is that when Sodom and Gomorrah were preached to, Right with Lot, mm -hmm. it says that Lot went in and tried to tell his oh, um, right. his sons, well, his son-in-laws, right? Or sons-in-law. No, that's a hard word to say. It says they actually laughed at him. They thought he was a joker. They thought he was messing around. So they had the opportunity to repent, and God was even going to spare them if there were ten righteous people, and yet there weren't. There were not even ten people who were willing to repent, and yet. Um, Jonah walks into Nineveh and gives the world's worst sermon in the history of sermons, which I always find really funny. You know, he, his goal was actually that they would not repent at his preaching because he wanted to see them destroyed, which is also, you know, I think it's funny. I think actually that's the problem with a lot of people reading the story of Jonah. They don't understand that the dominating... Um, theme or the tone with which you have to read Jonah is that it was meant to be almost laughable. Now, I believe it's true, but it's the whole book is if you don't laugh when you read Jonah or like laugh to yourself, I don't think you've really understood it. Like this guy walks in there. He tries to preach a sermon which will cause no one to respond. And then it says that everybody responded. And yeah, it even says in Jonah chapter three, verse four, that even the animals covered themselves in sackcloth. Right, the people even covered the animals in sackcloth and ashes. In other words, um, he's trying to preach in such a way that they won't repent, and yet they do, and that's why their judgment is spared. But I want to say spared. Actually, I'd rather say postponed, because if you read the book of Nahum, prophet Nahum, 
here's what's interesting, is that Nahum is a prophecy against Nineveh. And in that prophecy, he basically said, it's like a hundred years after Jonah. And um, in the time of Nahum, actually Nineveh is being judged now because even though they received mercy, it was almost like a stay of judgment, right? And so they received mercy because they were willing to repent. But then there comes a time when they haven't changed their ways and now they don't repent. And now God says, okay, that's enough now. Um, we're going to, your judgment's going to come upon you as well. But I think the overarching theme of these, these whole themes of judgment that we see throughout the Bible is that God offers mercy. Even in the Old Testament, God offers mercy, and it, but it can only be received by humbling yourself before God and admitting your desperate need for him. And I think the same is true for us. Like I said, if those are the sins of Sodom, I've committed those sins, you've committed those sins, every one of our listeners has probably committed those sins. Um, and therefore, we deserve judgment just as Sodom deserved judgment. But thanks be to God, he sent Jesus in our place to receive the judgment that we deserved so that we could receive the mercy and the grace that we could never deserve. And that's really good news. And a nice long one, too. You use that as a sermon sometime. <laughs> oh, John, I'm a preacher. You can't tell a, <laughs> you tell a zebra not to have stripes? Come on. <laughs> Thank you very much. You bet. All right. God bless you, John. Bye-bye. Right, right, Thank you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We have all open lines, and we'd love to hear from you with your questions about the Bible and your... Uh, oh, we don't have all open lines now, but we do have at least one open line. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or text us seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. We'd love to talk with you, pray for you, hopefully answer some of your questions. Um, just before we go to our next caller, you know, some of this stuff was really fresh on my mind because last week I got to spend the whole week teaching at a Bible college in Estes Park here in Colorado, very close to Longmont, about thirty minutes away up the hill from Longmont uh, Estes Park. The Bible college is called Ravencrest Chalet Bible College. It's part of the Torchbearers uh, Missionary Society movement. And they have, I think it's 20-something. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember the exact number, but I believe it's 20-something centers around the world where they uh, train missionaries and they uh, do Bible schools and they do summer camps and retreats. And we have one right here in our backyard. And so I have been teaching up there the last couple of years and really enjoyed it, really enjoyed my time with the students. I taught uh, around 20 or so hours, and I taught them through the entire book of Genesis. And so, of course, part of that was that I taught through the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was just really fresh on my mind how in Ezekiel 16 it says this. But hey, um, if you're interested, check out Ravencrest. They're doing really good stuff and pray for their work. They're discipling people. They're sending out missionaries. They're doing really good work. And they're right here in our backyard in Colorado in Estes Park. So uh, just a shout out to those guys. Let's go to our next caller, Dan in central Pennsylvania. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. That's good. So, so um, I was wondering how did Moses get the genealogy? Yeah. You're talking about like in Genesis? Yeah, you know, like so much of the Old Testament has genealogy. It's not just Exodus, it's not just um, numbers, you know, but even in like all those. So 
but how did how did he get all those names? Like, how did he know what they all were? Like, yeah. from Adam to Jacob, that that's hard enough. But then from Jacob all the way through, you know, uh, the 400 years in Egypt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, there are three uh, three main theories on this. So I'll walk you through them. I'll tell you which one I hold to. Okay, theory number one is that he just received it through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like he's just writing stuff down and the Holy Spirit's just telling him straight up, this guy lived from this time to this time, write it down. So he writes it down. I do not hold that view. I don't think that that's not possible. I think that is possible. I just don't think that that's how it happened. Um, second option is that it was all done through oral tradition. Now, um, let me just say a few words about that because I think that when we think about oral tradition in Western culture and society today, we tend to think that the oral tradition is not reliable, that it's probably the worst way that you could convey um, information or history. Um, but, and, and the reason we think that is because of like the telephone game, right? Like we've all played the telephone game as an example, you know, where you sit in a circle and then one person says to the next person next to them, you know, that they pass on a message, but by the time it gets, you know, a couple people down the line, the message is completely convoluted and different. And so we say that's the problem with oral traditions is that they get messed up over time. The, the problem is, though, with that is that that's not actually what anthropologists and um, historians have found. What they found is that in non-writing uh, cultures, right, so cultures where most of the people are not able to read and write, that people do pass on traditions orally and that they're actually able to track these traditions and they're able to show that in these cultures where that is the number one way that they pass on information, that, that those things are actually can be done in a very, very reliable way. And especially, you know, for these people at that time in the ancient world, their heredity was, was really, really important to them. And so they would make sure that they knew those stories. They would repeat those stories. You know, it's been shown that when you write things down or you store them like in your phone or on a computer, what your memory does is essentially learns that it doesn't have to remember those things. And so it doesn't. But in the case where that is all you've got is oral traditions, what they found is that they can actually be quite reliable. Okay, that's the second way. Now, the third way that people believe that Moses, you know, third theory on how Moses and Joshua knew the, the um, genealogies and all the history, right? Like some of that stuff in, in Genesis, you know, even stuff in Abraham's uh, family line. So the whole book of Genesis, right, all happened before Moses, Moses was born. So how did Moses know things? Because it even details things all the way down to like conversations that people had. Like he said this to her and then she said this to him. How did he know that they had these exact conversations? Did he just make it up? Did the Holy Spirit tell him those things? Um, were the, was that part of their oral tradition? So the third theory on this is that the way it took place was that um, there actually were written records. 
there were written records written down at different times. And some people would look at the book of Genesis and they'd see the book of Genesis is has its own kind of division system. So you know that the numbers in your Bible, like the chapter numbers, verse numbers, were added much later to help you navigate it. But before any of that existed, the book of Genesis had its own built-in system for breaking it up and keeping it organized. And this is called the generations. So throughout Genesis, you read, these are the generations of Adam, these are generations of Seth, etc. Now, the theory is that um, those things that are written are actually based on written documents that would have been copied and passed down through the ages. And we know that in the time of Abraham, in Ur of the Chaldees, they had libraries. So they had writing. And it wasn't like on rocks, right? Like they had papyrus and writing and things like that. And they were able to create documents. People were able to read and write. And so I think that's like the... And so for me, which theory do I hold to? I, I hold to the written documents theory. And I hold a little bit to the oral traditions theory, but I think that more than anything, they probably had written documents. So do you think then even like the, the creation account may have been written down too? I do believe that, yes. Wow, that's so interesting. I never, uh, I never heard anything like this before, and I, was, I, was, I had to teach on something on Sunday, and I start... You know how you get, like, you start teaching and then you get, like, on a rabbit trail? Yeah. And th that's what ended up happening. I got on a rabbit trail and I started thinking, well, because I was teaching teens about, you know, we, Jesus is real. Like, how do we know that Jesus is real? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And one of the ways is because the Bible is so historically accurate. Like, this, is, this isn't something that somebody just made up, you know? Right. This, is real, you know, like you can base your life on this, you know. But then I started thinking, well, wait a minute, like, well, how, how did they get that? Like, how did they, how did Moses know, like, all those genealogies? You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Yep. So that's what, that's how I got to, to that point. Now, how did you learn that? Did you go to, like, Bible college and learn that? Or did you just happen to think no, the no. same question? Or, yeah, or what? Yeah, no. Personally, I learned that I went to seminary. I have a BA in theology, and I'm finishing my MA in integrated theology. Um, so yeah, I went to seminary. Still, still currently in graduate school, and so yeah, that's that's a lot of stuff that you learn when you study Old Testament, Pentateuch, Genesis, and um, yeah. So you know, I would really, I would say this: not everybody has the time or the money to do something like that. But there are a lot of really great things online. Like, uh, I'll tell you this, Reformed Theological Seminary in, uh, I believe it's Jackson, Mississippi, has a lot of stuff on iTunes. <laughs> they, they actually put their seminary lectures up on iTunes. And so, I'd say, you know, um, check out, see what you can get online for free. A lot of seminaries and stuff offer certain courses for free. There's also some really good books out there. Um, one of my professors was a man named Gordon Wenham. It's W. E-N-H-A-M, Wenham, and he wrote a great book on the Pentateuch and the origins of the first five books of Moses. It's also a really easy book to read. Um, and so I would say, check that out. And if any of our listeners want a link, I uh, don't have it in front of me, but I will dig up that link to that book. And I would be happy to send it out to anybody who texts in to the text line. I'll send them a link, including... You, Dan, if you want to text us uh, at our text line, I'd be happy to try and send you a link to that book. 
But let me let me add one thing before we go to our next caller, and that's this: that the same thing happened with the Gospels. Did you know that that they were actually compiled based on documents which we don't have? Oh, yep, there it is. There's the book. It's called Exploring the Old Testament: A Guide to the Pentateuch. Yep, by Gordon Wenham. He's one of my professors at the University of Gloucestershire in England. So, um, yeah, and I'll send links out, out of that to anybody who would like to text us, and I'll be happy to send the link. But here, here's a really, really interesting thing, is that the Gospels were kind of put together in the same way. A lot of um, people believe, and, and I'm one of them, that there was what we call a proto-Gospel, meaning like a, um, you know early form of the Gospels called Q. And that like the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, the reason why they have a lot of the same materials is because they're drawing on other materials which were written at the time. Um, and, and they were doing so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what to include, what not to include. And I'll get to more on this in a second, but I've got to let you go because we're coming up on a two-minute break. Uh, we'll be right back in two minutes' time. You're listening to Calvary Live. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible things going on in your life. If you have prayer requests, we'd love to hear from you and pray for you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. So right before the break, we were talking to, um, I believe it was Dan in Pennsylvania and um, I just said I had one closing thought, but we had to go to break. And so that thought was this. Yeah, it was Dan in central Pennsylvania. That thought was this, that the old, the New Testament was also compiled in such a way where there were written records and there were also eyewitnesses. And so Luke alludes to this fact in Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed to good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay, what Luke is alluding to is that there were several, you know, kind of written things about people who had seen Jesus, they had seen him do certain things, they had written those things down. So what Luke's doing is he's taking, you know, a lot of these different writings, you know, in our day, it'd be like the equivalent of writing an article, somebody hadn't written like an exhaustive life of Jesus, but they had written some things maybe that they were witness to. And then he went and actually talked to eyewitnesses. So this is what Luke did. He's like an investigative reporter. He's like the guy who says, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to take all the things that have been written, I'm going to take all the people who are still alive, which was most of them at that point, because this was not very long after Jesus had resurrected and ascended. He said, okay, I'm going to go take all the writings. I'm going to take all the witnesses, eyewitnesses, and I'm going to write an exhaustive um, and authoritative account for you 
for this Theophilus, which that's a whole other debate as to who Theophilus was, but um, just the point of how the New Testament was, uh, or how the Gospels came together is, is a very interesting discussion. So thank you very much for that discussion, Dan, and God bless you as you minister to those youth in your church. Let's go to our next caller, Prince in Maryland. Hi, Prince. Welcome to the program. Yeah, how you doing? Good evening. Doing great. What's up? Yeah, I'm fine. I have a question. Okay. Um, as a Christian, uh, my first question is, as a Christian, if we're working for the Lord, you're working for the Lord, you're in the church, you're working as a choir or usher or ministers or, you know, you're working for the Lord. When Jesus said there are rewards for those people that are working for the Lord, there are rewards. So after the judgment, when we all go to heaven, are there rewards for everybody as a Christian or for those people that only work for the Lord when they were on earth? Oh, well, I wouldn't say that it's limited to working for the Lord in church, but it definitely includes that as well. So there are several places in the Bible where we can talk about um, rewards for service, rewards for not just service, but life lived. We see that martyrs, right, receive the crown of life. That's a reward. And, um, you know, one good place to look at this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he just basically talks about this. He says that some people, even uh, Christians who do their service to the Lord, um, they do it for good motivation, and some people do it for bad motivation. But in the end, God is going to test all of our actions by fire, and what is good will remain, and what is bad will be burnt up, like wood, hay, and stubble is burnt up in a fire. But that which is, you know, precious jewels and precious metals won't burn up. It's kind of a word picture and analogy that he uses. And what he what he means to say there is really simply that. All of our actions will be tested, and um, those which were done for bad motivation, will we will not be rewarded for. And those which were done for the right reasons, we will be rewarded for. Um, but in the end, we will stand before the the throne of God. You know, two different thrones are talked about in the New Testament. One is called uh, the judgment seat, and that is where people go to be judged for their sins. Um, and those of us who are in Jesus will not stand before that seat because we've already Jesus has already been judged for our sins. We will appear before a different seat, which is called in Greek the Bema seat. The Bema seat is important because <clears throat> that's different than the throne of judgment. It was also a judge's seat, but it's a judgment for reward. So you can think about how in the Olympics they have judges, but those judges aren't there to condemn people to death. Those judges are there to look at your performance and judge and award you or reward you accordingly. And so, um, yes, it says, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat. Now, this is the award or reward seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so what that means is that for us who are believers, we will receive rewards we will be rewarded according to our actions and that means that those of us who serve now we can know that we will be we may not receive a pat on the back accolades we may not receive any sort of um, 
reward for our service here on earth, but we do know that God is seeing it and that he will reward us in heaven. Now, to answer your question, in case I didn't understand you correctly, but it sounded like um, you're asking, did can you get rewarded for service only done in the church? Can you also get rewarded for service done outside of the church? Did I is I that mean, the, as much as as long as as long as it's for God, as long it doesn't matter. I'm just I just just touch it as, a, as an example. Yeah. As long as you're working for the Lord, as long as you evangelize, you know, you go out and win souls for the Lord. This is a part of work that we're doing for the Lord. So mm. whatever we do here on earth. When we get to heaven after the judgment, do do God reward us according to our work on health? Yes. Know, on earth. Yes. Yeah. So in other words, we don't get into heaven or hell based on our our actions, but we do our get rewards. rewarded based on our actions. And yeah, you're right. right. So whether it's in church or outside of church, will we be rewarded? Yeah. Okay. And the second question is, after the judgment. After the judgment, if we all if we all make it to heaven, do we still recognize each other? Do I recognize my friend? Do I recognize my wife? Oh, you're in heaven. Oh, oh, you're, do we still recognize each other? Or after the dead, we now turn to spirit? Or do I mean I I don't get it? Do we still recognize each other after mm -hmm. the judgment? So my answer to that is yes. I do believe that we recognize each other. There are several stories in the Bible which tell us that we will recognize each other. Um, and so your question then is, are we like disembodied spirits or are we embodied people? And the answer to that is a little bit more complicated, but not, not terribly complicated. Here's how it goes. If you die now, your right. spirit goes to be with God. And if somebody right. dies um, and they are apart from the faith, their spirit goes into Hades or hell. And it says, though, that Jesus says after the judgment, what will happen is there will be a resurrection of all people and we will receive the resurrection body. Now, one question people ask is, do we receive the resurrection body immediately after death? My, my belief is no, but I think there's a decent argument that can be made for yes. And that's based on First uh, Thessalonians chapter four that says that we will be changed in an instant. We'll be transformed. And so, anyway, my view on it is this, um, and I'm open to, to being, you know, having my view changed or influenced. But here's here's the view, that you go to your spirit goes to be with God, and then at the resurrection after the judgment, then you receive your resurrection body. And so, what do you mean when you say resurrection body? What what do you mean by resurrection body? So I'm talking about what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he talks about how we will not be just disembodied spirits floating around forever, but we will receive new bodies. And I believe that heaven will not just be spirits floating around in the clouds. I believe that it will be a new heavens and a new earth. It will be tangible. It will be physical and that we will have a physical body. Thank you very much. Yeah, I hope that helps. Yeah, because I was uh, we were having a Bible study, um, and we were just asking questions, and I wasn't really sure about the questions. So I said, okay, when I get online today, I will, I will call in and, you know, just to clarify and just to ask questions. 
Thank awesome, you very man. much. I'm so glad you called. Yes, hey, and I love your name, by the way. I have a good friend from <laughs> Abuja, Nigeria, who is also named Oh, Prince. wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I'm he's a, he's a pastor. Lagos. He's a, yeah. Oh, okay. oh, you're from Lagos, eh? Yeah, so my friend is yeah, a pastor yeah. of Calvary Chapel International, which is in Abuja. And they've planted okay. about five Calvary chapels in that northern, north-central wow. Nigerian region. And I knew this friend. Wow. We got to know each other in Hungary, of all places, and he was there at Bible College. So um, if you ever That's know anybody wonderful. in Abuja, mention to okay. them Calvary Chapel, and uh, it would be awesome to connect them. All right. Do we have an app? Do you guys want to have an app that I can download on my phone? Absolutely. Yeah, it's called it's called uh, Grace FM. So I know that you're listening on um Hope FM. On, but yeah. But this show is hosted on Grace FM. So just type that into your app store, Grace FM one word, and it'll come up. You'll you see Grace, Grace FM. Grace FM, right? Grace That's FM. Right. That's right. All right. Thank and, you, sir. Uh, God bless you. God bless you, Prince. Right, bye bye. Yes, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. Looks like we've got all open lines now, which is, means that it's a great time for you to call in if you have a question about the Bible or a prayer request or something you would like to talk about that's going on in your life that you'd like to get a biblical perspective on. We would love to hear from you and talk with you and hopefully answer those questions. Here's the number to call, 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. Or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. That's seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. Love to hear from you. And uh, in the meantime, as we're waiting for those calls to come in, let's go over to our text line and see what texts we have received. One person writes in and says this. I have, I'm having trouble with a coworker. She lies. I can't trust what she says. We have work as a team as social workers in a nursing home. This is the third social worker that has this issue and I am hopeless. Administration sees it and continues to allow it. It is hard to help the patients. I need prayer and guidance. So it's, it's hard for me to give you too much guidance, not knowing the details of your situation, but I'll do my best. It sounds like, um, yeah, it sounds like you're, you know, working. You know, I read this statistic that says that um, the average American, you know, spends two thirds of their life at work. And that's a lot. So, um, well, I'm sorry, actually, it's one third of their life. So a third of our life is spent at work. So having conflicts at work definitely is a huge part of your life because you spend so much time there. So first of all, let me pray for you, and then um, we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, I pray for this dear person uh, struggling with this coworker at, uh, who's lying and uh, not being trustworthy. Lord, uh, I would pray that you would help these people to work together in this nursing home and that they would see the mission that they have to serve the people that they're they're working for, um, the 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 elderly people in the nursing home, Lord, I pray that you would help them uh, to serve them well and to not be distracted by these kind of conflicts. Lord, I pray that where there are lies, there would be truthfulness. Lord, I pray there was there would be justice. I pray that there would be honesty. And Lord, I pray that there would be an openness. I pray that there would be a climate and a culture in that place, in that workplace, and that would be created by our Christian brother or sister who writes in 
that where there is uh, people feel comfortable telling the truth and not needing to lie. And so, Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy would cover the situation. You give this person a lot of wisdom and guidance with how to approach their fellow employee. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, you know, what's interesting is there's a lot of stories in the Bible that actually talk about coworkers and people who are together. I think about some stories from the Old Testament. I, I also think about the words of Paul when he says uh, in Romans, you know, he says, as much as depends on you, seek to live at peace with all people. So my encouragement to you would be to speak the truth in love and that it would be, you know, to help this person understand that you know that they're not always telling the truth, but don't do it in an accusatory way or a vindictive way, but encourage them to say, hey, you know, you can tell me the truth. We need to be on the same page. We need to be open and honest because we're, we're here on a mission to help these patients. And uh, I would just encourage you, you know, model those things for your coworkers. Show them that there's an openness there on your part to hear the truth and to deal with the truth. And I just pray that God would give you wisdom with how to deal with your particular situation. Thanks for texting in, and God bless you. Listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. Let's go back to our call-in line to Alfredo in Colorado Springs. Hi, Alfredo. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. Thank you, man. Uh, I had a quick question, man. I'm just kind of listening uh, yeah. on the road on the way back home. Uh, from the Springs, uh, I attend uh, Calvary Chapel there. Um, Pastor Jim uh, Etheridge. Uh, but I had a quick question, man. Uh, in the book of Corinthians, uh, Paul speaks about a, a third heaven uh, real briefly. And uh, something I've been curious about, uh, I look at the, the footnotes in my my uh, Bible um, in the ESV, and it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really send me to anywhere that, that really clarifies what this this third heaven is. So I was just kind of curious, uh, want to know what your thoughts were on this third heaven that Paul speaks about. Yeah. So the verse you're referring to is second Corinthians chapter 12, verse two, where Paul says this, he's speaking about himself. Interestingly, in the third person, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or not, I don't know. Um, but God knows, but this person was caught up to the third heaven and he saw things which may not be spoken. Okay, what he's referring to there is that, especially in the ancient world, but kind of even today, we talk about three levels of heaven being um, the, there's three, when we say the heavens, we can say the heavens in three different meanings. So we can talk about the atmosphere right above us, you know, way up in the sky, like you know, airplanes flying in the heavens or, you know, mountains that shoot up to the heavens. Uh, so that's the first level of heaven. And the second level of heaven is like um, outer space, right? So like where the moon and the other planets are, outer space. And the third level of heaven is not a physical realm, but it's the spiritual realm. And that is the, re that is the place where God dwells. So the dwelling place of God. So essentially, and that's what we talk about. Like when we talk about heaven or being with God, we're referring to what, the ancients talked about as the third heaven. And so what Paul's saying is that he was caught up into the presence of God. Okay, that I understand that. That makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, this is a really interesting passage. I taught on this recently, and I loved uh, studying up on it. You know, this is the part where Paul basically, in this section, 
people who don't like him have accused him of basically said if Paul was really a spiritual person he wouldn't have so many problems like he wouldn't have so many he wouldn't be sick and you know he wouldn't have um, all the problems and issues that he has in his life they said oh look Paul you know he's got this eye disease or he's got this thorn in the flesh whatever it was he's got this problem that problem clearly this is the proof that God is not with him and he's not a spiritual person and Paul says well you want to talk about spiritual things well then let's do it right and he says yeah, one one time a couple of years ago I got caught up to heaven some people speculate by the way just for interest's sake that what when this happened correlates with Acts chapter 14 where Paul was on his first missionary journey and he got beat up outside of the city and it says they dragged him to the outskirts of town basically to the trash dump and they left him there because they thought he was dead and it says that he you know it's, it's the text is kind of ambiguous like maybe he was dead and God raised him or maybe he was almost dead right and then he says that he woke up the next day and walked right back into the same city (laughs) which is so punk rock right like who is this guy so he was uh, you know in that third heaven man in the presence of God Uh, exactly he's like I just saw God I'm gonna go back in there maybe he'll get lucky they'll kill him this time and he'll get to go be with God so (laughs) amen amen Oh, so, God, is it possible to ask you one more real quick question about Paul? Yeah. Okay. Uh, another thing that I uh, was curious about is we know that, you know, after uh, on the road, you know, to Damascus, we know the story. After the, the scales were removed from his eyes, okay, obviously from that point forward, it, we know in Scripture that Paul had a problem with, with his vision. My question is, is there anywhere in Scripture that, that that tells us if Paul had a vision problem prior to, uh, you know, being uh, met on the road that night, that night or that evening uh, by Christ? Or is this vision problem something that kind of just hung around after, you know, all for his glory, of course, but yeah. you see the, the question? Yep, I do. I get your question. Okay, so I don't see any indication in the Bible of him having it beforehand. Here, the indications of him needing or having eye problems uh, mostly come from his letter to the Galatians, where he talks about, he says, when I was with you, now let's keep a timeline in mind, when was he with them? On his first missionary journey. Okay, yeah. so Paul's first missionary journey was in, which is Acts 14. Now, this is the same time that he got beat up and left for dead. Okay, so it is possible that what he's talking about there, although uh, it seems that, that where that happened was kind of in the southern region of Galatia. So anyway, hard to say. There, there's a couple theories here, though. Okay, did he have it before the Damascus Road experience? Not that we know of. One theory is that the scales and the eyes and everything, that he was basically blinded by, by Jesus, and, um, and you know his eyes were damaged, and that's why he had ongoing eye problems from that point on like he says in his letter to the Galatians when I was with you you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me that's how loving you were but it, that means that there was a reason why he needed some new eyes he had an eye problem then he says at the end of the letter he goes look at what big letters I write to you with he says the same thing in his letter to the Thessalonians second Thessalonians he says look at these big letters I write with which means probably people who write with big letters you know they need the large print Bible that's because they have an eye problem okay so yeah. Could be that. Could be when he was struck blind um, in Acts chapter 10. Or, sorry, Acts chapter 9. 
The other option is that it could have been some kind of malaria that he got um, in southern region of Turkey, which they say that there is such a disease that causes swelling of the eyeballs, which sounds horrible. And then the third option is that it could have been when he got beat up that maybe some damage to his eyes took place then. But yeah, it did not exist before, at least not that we know of, before yeah, Damascus Road. That's good to the point. That's, thank you, man. That clarifies a lot. I just thought that was, you know, question I had. It's kind of interesting that, you know, after his encounter with, with Christ, and, you know, yeah. even after he having his eyes open, that he would still, you know, from that day forward have problems with his vision and, uh, you know, Obviously, like I said, it's, it's all for God's glory, man. Uh, the work sure. that, that he did through Paul, but I just thought that that was, you know, kind of cool. That not, you know, not in that way, but it was just uh, something, uh, you know, something. The question that just kind of lingered with me, you know, uh, if he had had vision problems prior, or is it, you know, part of God's plan, you know, from, from yeah. day one? So, thank you for your time and uh, for the yeah. answer questions about the third heaven. You have a blessed rest of the day, man. You too. God bless you, Alfredo. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Let's take one more call before the end of our show. Marty in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Hi, Marty. Welcome to the program. How's it going, Pastor? Doing great. So my question for you is this. Um, when we pray, the Bible says, Ask, you, um, you shall receive, knock, you shall find. Um, seeking you should find there's something that i can't understand in the bible that also talks about um don't be like the pharisees continually asking for the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. are we supposed to pray should we continue to pray for the things that we we were asking the lord for or should we ask once and and let it go yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking more than once. Here's a good example of that is the passage we talked about with our previous caller from Second Corinthians, where Paul says that he prayed, um, and he prayed three times. And we get the impression it wasn't just like on three different occasions, but these are three times when he made like a concerted effort to pray for this thing. And at the end of it, God said, I'm not going to heal you from this because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And um, and so Paul was okay with that, and he it looks like he stopped praying for it. But we see, you know, the problem wasn't that he prayed three times, right? The problem was it wasn't a problem. God just said, "Hey, I'm not going to do that thing you're asking for um, because I have a different plan." And we can see, you know, other parables. Like you remember the parable where Jesus told that guy, he goes, "Imagine if somebody knocks on your door in the middle of the night asking for." you know, something to cook with, right? And he says, well, you get up and give it to them just because of their persistence. And so Jesus is actually encouraging us to be persistent. And it's actually quite funny, really, because he's using this example that's got to make you laugh because he's using this example of somebody being annoyed and they're so annoyed that they just give you what you want. And he's saying that that is kind of what we should do to God. Now understand He's not meaning that, that we should, he's not trying to say that God is annoyed with us, nor is he trying to say that uh, we should be annoying. What he's saying is be persistent. And I think that sometimes that means, do you just ask for something once in faith and then stop asking? I think that Jesus is telling us to do just the opposite. He's telling us, 
It's kind of like when I tell somebody, hey, um, I have every intention of doing what you're saying, but if I forget, I, I invite you to bug me about it. Like, you're, you know, bug me, email me, text me until I do it because my intention is to do it and I'm just a forgetful person. And so that's in uh, Luke chapter 11. And so I would just say that the, I think that that's what God's trying to tell us there is, is um, look, I, I want you to be persistent. I don't want you to give up. I want you to pray steadfastly, even for the same thing. Now, what were the Pharisees doing? Well, they were, they, he says, the actual term that he uses is vain repetitions. It means that they're like, they're saying a lot of memorized prayers, first of all. They're not praying from their heart to God. They're just repeating memorized prayers, which almost mean nothing to them at this point, right? It's like when you just say something over and over and over, and it becomes trite. It becomes just what you say in that moment, and it has nothing to do with uh, relationship with God or your heart at all. That totally makes sense. That that was the clarification, because understanding the context of where the Pharisees were and what they were doing and what it goes to prayer, it's just, it's kind of confusing. Sometimes you feel like you're, like you said, bugging the Lord for something over and over and over again, and you don't want to feel that way. But what I'm saying is he actually invites us to bug him, which is pretty cool. So let's do that. Let's take him up on it. Amen? Amen. All right. Thanks for calling in. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. We have reached the end of our show on that note. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm with you here every Monday on Calvary Live. It's been a pleasure taking your questions and your prayer requests. God bless you. Have a great evening, and I'll be with you again next week. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.